0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's office hours and we're around the world coming from St. Andrews here in Scotland. And I'm mm-hmm. blessed to have a unbelievable guest host with me, a kid that I've known since he was five. He's no longer a kid though. Uh the incredible entrepreneur Jeff Fenster, founder and CEO of Everbowl and We Build and I'm sure many other ventures that we don't want to list out, but uh Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming on Office Hours.
1: Thanks for having me. Always fun to hang out with you, Dave, and get to meet new people and provide value and join the experience. Been a fan of the show for a long time, so it's always fun to co-host with you. Well, it's good
0: man this is what they call the car wash at espn we're running you through the ringer to see how you do and hopefully we'll have you on more and more shows accordingly and so we start with a extraordinary easy guest for you because this guy is well qualified he's an easy interview so we'll start off with some softballs and then we'll see how the the uh, screwballs no pun intended work out later on in the show but uh, anyway we have the founder and ceo at sra Van Carlson, welcome to Office Hours. Yeah, great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation, David. Thanks for having me on your show. Me too. You know, as I have uh, journeyed through my career, there's a lot of different things uh, that come about as a business owner that you say, gosh, I wish I would have known about that. How come everybody doesn't do that? Uh, Including, by the way, like the ERC program uh, that came out. You know i took it to my accountant and because my accountant really didn't know about it instead of telling me the truth and saying hey i don't know about it uh he just said no 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 it's not right for you and meanwhile you know hundreds of thousands of dollars later i was very pleased to find out that erc was for me uh <laughs> and you know i see that happening a lot where our trusted advisors instead of telling the truth that i don't know uh, they take the stance that oh that's bs or that's not good stuff," and One of the things that I learned about and why I wanted to have you on Office Hours is I see 831B plans uh, being uh, the same type of illusory values that so many people don't know about. So they'd rather tell you uh, the lack of credibility instead of say that they have lack of credibility because they don't know that are going on. So I want to start out and educate our audience on what an 831B plan is.
2: Yeah, so an 831B plan, you know, we compare it to the 401K plan, really. I mean, it's just part of the tax code. Um, The difference is uh, the 831B plan was uh, put in the tax code 1986 because of what was going on in traditional insurances. Uh, A lot of business owners were finding themselves going out of business, they weren't able to buy the insurance they needed. Our prices of, of insurance gone up so much that it became very unaffordable for a lot of small businesses, and so that's why the tax code was introduced. It was really taxes. It was really introduced as an incentive, no different than the four hundred one k to cr- create a retirement plan for you and your employees. Uh, the eight thirty one b was designed to really manage risk that was being self. Basically, the business owners were retaining the risk. Um, and what allows an 831B to do is really to put money into it, you expense it out of your operating company, no different than the 401k contributions, but the 831B doesn't get taxed on that, on those on those dollars. So now you're able to build up those reserves and really manage your self-insured risk more, more effectively and efficiently. Um, that's what the code does. And, and it's, it's really the only two code business owners really have on the books that allows you to just defer your profits, your taxable income, and really to make your business stronger, survive during those downtimes and unforeseen incidences. I mean, the best, best obviously, one we can point to is COVID-19. Um, and it's really what, you know, to bring it really into layman's terms is, you know, every business owner should have their own PPP plan or ERC plan, right? It just needs to be funded by the business owners. I don't think we can go, I don't think what we've done and the plans that we either did or didn't have in place to deal with COVID-19, uh, it, you know, going forward, I think business owners need to have their own PPP plan and the A31B plan does that for them much more efficiently and effectively uh, than anything else that's available to the business owners today.
1: I find it fascinating to how, how David mentioned on the forefront that a lot of people don't know. I actually came into this and did some homework on, on your company beforehand, but I fell victim to, I didn't know what an 831 b plan is or was and 14 companies into my career and i'm sitting here going how did i not know about this so my question is is it industry agnostic or are there certain industries where an 831b is much more prevalent and much more important versus others you know we we have over
2: 700 clients around the country and it comes from all industries uh self-insuring risk retaining risk uh is not a it's not an issue right i mean every business owner and sometimes you don't know yourself and you know you don't you don't know you have that risk until it happens and again finding out you're not a central business and being forced to shut down and having no triggering event happening happen for your business interruption you're on your own and that's really why the government had to come in and do what they did but you know uh, it really comes down to who adopts it first this was in 1986. Uh, fortune 500 companies have known about these codes for a very long time and they've adopted it pretty quickly it was never really designed to do that It was really designed to help the small to middle market business owners out. Um, Also, it got hijacked for something that's completely unrelated, and that was really for estate tax planning. And that's really where the 831B was kind of got got hit on pretty hard by the IRS. It was being used for something else that really wasn't intended to, like, you know, shockingly. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's really so, so, you know, even though it's been on the books for almost 40 years, it, you're, you're, it's not unique to you, Jeff, that you don't know about it. I mean, it's unfortunately, and, and two, getting back to the CPA community, you know, there's, they're still trying to figure out what the 2017 Tax Reform Act had in it, right? So there's just a lot of things that go in out there, and that's why we're, we're an admin company. So we admin the plans for business owners, no different than if you hired a 401k administrator to administer your plan. There's rules and regulations. There's There's four-part tests and all that kind of stuff, and it's our job to make sure you comply with that. And that's why you—that's why you hire companies like us to to administer your plans for you. But uh, there's there's always one of those things where um, you don't want to be the last one to know about it. But uh, you know, we do talk about it all the time. I mean, your competitors are doing it. Your other, you know, other people in your space are doing it. Um, we think it's going to become a normal business practice. It's going to have to, because again, it's it's you know, businesses that are profitable, good, successful enterprises need to put away rainy day funds for the unplanned. And, and the world's gotten much more complex as we know.
0: And to that measure, uh, regardless of what the plans are and uh, administrating it, how come there's no advertisement or no education out there, You know, especially for small and mid-sized businesses, it would seem to me that there would be an administrator that you know put some dollars behind amplifying the message uh, especially with the lower cost of social media, uh, in the different platforms, uh, are Jeff and I just eluded uh, because of the silo type of marketing that exists on social media, or uh, are there no big players, you know, pounding this like they do the four hundred and one k?
2: Not yet, and that's that's somebody's got to be the first one to do it, and and we and I, I kind of feel like we are. I mean, we have a lot of competitors in the space, but typically they're attorneys and CPAs. So for them, marketing is not really (laughs) something that, you know, and, and, you know, we have discussions with them. Well, you know, we're a micro captive, we're a captive insurance company. We're not an 830. Well, no, you're an 831B plan, no different than your 401k retirement plan, right? But so I would say it's, it's, it's been a long round for a long time, but, you know, it's taking companies like my, I've been in risk management my entire career, you know, professional life. And I didn't even get into this business until 2008. I mean, leading up to that, I didn't know about it either. And, of course, the Great Recession is what spun me up into the program. The financial risk business owners take, right? Not alone risk like COVID, right? But, you know, so, you know, to, to your point, I think it's an it's new, It's although it's old, but it's, you know, it's we had to bring down costs. You know, when I first got into it, eight states were promoting you to own an 831B plan in the state. Now there's 34. Uh, so there's just a lot of things that come into play on this. And it's risk management. It's boring, right? It's not... You know and so uh you have a lot of boring people in that industry so when it comes to marketing and being trying to be out there the other thing i would say is we work with a lot of trusted advisors so the way we created our distribution model we have over 200 advisor 200 advisors around the country representing our products however we're utilizing it on their clients so they're either cpas financial planners or property casualty agents or two a lot of times they're coaches uh and they're bringing these ideas to their clients and so I would say I'm I'm not a great marketing person. I mean, I think we have a good marketing team and we're just in the beginning of this. Um, and then, two, I mean, co- you know, until something happens, catastrophic event like COVID-19, business owners really start to understand the risk they've taken on by themselves. And so it's just those combination of things, David, I think that's taken a while to get there. But, you know, if we're doing our job good enough, we're, we're, we're you know, we we heavily involved in lobbyist groups right now with Congress. We want to bring this out to bring in a normal business practice. And it's part of our job. And that's why we love being on platforms such as yourself to get the education out, because it is an education. Um, you know, that's that's what it's coming down to.
1: If I build up a big enough 831B portfolio or value, do I even need traditional insurance or would this replace all of that ancillary insurance for me?
2: So, you know, a lot of times I tell our clients, we're not here to increase or decrease the risk you have. We're here to manage your risk more effectively. And that's what A thirty one b does. I think traditional insurances do a very good job handling the tangible assets of a business, building, you know, building anything you get a loan for. I think traditional insurance companies do a really good job. It's the intangible assets, it's your, you know, intellectual property, it's your contracts, it's your brand, your reputation in the community. Uh, Those are the things that, you know, we'll call it blue sky. That's normally what most business owners value. You know, the cash flow of the business is valuable. Um, Those are really hard to insure for. And so that's one of the things we target for. Now, we work with companies all over the country that, you know, if you're a big, if you're paying north of a half million dollars in traditional insurances, we have a program for that as well. If you're taking on more retained risk through liabilities or your first dollar loss on your insurance policy, you're, you're taking on yourself. We'll build an 831B around that. So we're a complement to your traditional insurances, although at times we will replace it as well through using reinsurance carriers and all that. It's a much more complicated deal, but typically it's a construction company doing north of a million dollars in traditional insurances between work comp, GL and all that. Uh, we have products for that as well. Uh, that's been that's probably been around for the longest, truthfully. Um but then we also have warranty risk. I mean, you look at auto dealers today, you know, when they're trying to sell you a, a service contract, they're putting it all into an 831B plan. They've been doing it for years. Uh, so you, when you talk about warranty risk, rep and warranty and all those types of things, these are unfunded liabilities you have on your books that taking an 831B just makes it more efficient, and more effectively to manage. And, and that's really what, you know, getting back to the education thing, right? So, um, but no, I, I wouldn't. It's a case by case situation, and sometimes absolutely makes sense to replace traditional insurances, um, especially if you got the risk tolerance for it. And but you know that's that's definitely a whole other another thing in the in 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 the game of this 831B.
0: And last question for you, uh, as far as managing it, uh, what's the stru- structure of the management? It is a fee-based management, it fee based management? Is it success based management? Uh, how how does your structure work in facilitating the support education and facilitation of 831B?
2: Yeah, so you know the you know it's I would say the box. So it's an 831B plan, but the box has got to look and feel like an insurance company. And so it's got to build reserves up. It's got to have surplus. It will pay claims. Sometimes it will pay claims under affiliate to them. So that's really where the, the the education process comes in, and that's really where we come into. It. Now we do have some flat fee bases. Um, we, we, When I first got into this, I saw it become so cost prohibitive that if you weren't a major company, you weren't going to do it because the costs were just too high. As we all know, and I just mentioned how the domicile, putting these things in the States, have increased. Well, anytime increasing, increasing happens, competition comes in fees get compressed. And we're starting to see that. But we built our program around that we don't think fees should ever kill a deal. We think every business owner out there has has risks that they're unfunded, that's not funded properly. So we manage our fees effectively where we think most every business owner can, can participate in our 831B plan. But there is a flexibility schedule on their fees. But again, we think this is going to become a normal business practice. But the way to do that is through competition and making sure our fees are affordable for small to middle market business owners to do.
0: It's uh, so logical and beneficial. Check out 831b.com. Van Carlson, founder and CEO of, at SRA. Uh, Van, thanks for educating us today. I'm sure we'll have a lot of uh, small and mid-sized businesses checking into it. You can reach him at 831b.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate you guys.
1: Thanks, man. I'm going to be reaching out too because I, I need to do a whole assessment now. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. And I didn't know. Jeff,
2: I'll have a guy, as soon as I get off, as soon as I get off here, I'll have call you, look you up, Please do. All <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Thank you, man. Good. I, yeah, I'm just always amazed, Jeff, you and I, between us, we probably have had a hundred companies <laughs> and uh you would think something has been around 40 some years. We would at least know about, as I was like calling it the 831B plan and <laughs> like, oh yeah, shit, it's 831. Uh Anyway, we have our next amazing guest waiting in the wings. Here he is. Jeffrey Chapanik is here, CEO of MacDiversity Recruiters. Welcome to Office Hours, Jeff.
3: Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Jeff. Great to well, meet you, Jeff. Great to meet you. Um, we
0: got Jeff and Jeff. Usually it's David and David. Now it's Jeff and Jeff. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, that's okay. We we, we don't mind. Uh, but diversity recruiting, attention uh, in recruiting to me, is only outweighed in value uh, for companies uh, next to engagement. I think to change our GNP in general, we need to work on our employee engagement, which is by the way, directly related to recruiting and retention, which are absolutely correlated to each other. Um, and so I'm always interested in uh, how this all works Is we have moved towards uh, a different type of prioritization in recruitment and retention Uh, diversity plays a huge role in the success of that when people don't feel separate, inferior or superior within the context of their employment. Um, You've been doing this uh, over 20 years, uh, a veteran and a leader in the space. I wanted to start by kind of backing up the truck and seeing your perception on how has recruiting in general uh, changed and what are the biggest critical business issues in recruiting and retention?
3: Uh, I think that uh, the industry itself has changed. You know, there, there's always technologies that that was supposed to replace executive recruiting years ago. It was monster.com, then it was LinkedIn, and, and now everybody is in a panic that AI is going to eliminate the industry. Um, it's not gonna happen because the human interaction is the most critical part of it. Um, In today's world, uh, not a lot of people want to pick up the phone and dial it and talk to people. Um, It's such an honor. Even my own children, you know, texting uh, from upstairs, say, Mom, can you bring me a Um, Pop-Tart? But the human interaction is a critical piece of it all. And they'll never be able to replace that. And and our business is continuing to thrive and grow because of that.
0: My my kids text me, Dad, can you go get me an Everbowl? How do you like that, (laughs) Jeff Enster?
1: They have very very smart kids. I mean, let's let's start there. (laughs) You got to look intelligent children.
3: (laughs) No. It's awesome. It's interesting how this all came about. I, I was actually about nine years ago asked to speak at a Texas Diversity Council. The original founding business was MAC Executive Recruiters. And then I was asked to speak at a Texas Diversity Council event. And at the end of it, they asked me to join the board of directors of the Texas Diversity Council. They thought I brought a lot to the table and could help. And so I spent the next year traveling around to the 13 chapters of the National Diversity Council around the country. And after that year, um, they asked me to join the National Board of Directors, which I, I'm still a part of. Um, what that did was it gave us a backdoor view as to how much companies were really struggling to increase their diversity workforce. Um, and that's what when MAC Diversity Recruiters was formed. Um, and so there's a lot of companies in today's market that are jumping into the pool now We've just had about an eight year head start and our client portfolio proves
1: that we work for some of the biggest and best helping with their diversity initiatives. So, Jeff, I actually sold a recruiting agency in 2011, so I have a little experience in your industry. Um, My question is, understanding one of the reasons why diversity and increasing diversity in organizations is difficult is because systemically you have this group of individuals that didn't have diversity that have elevated themselves to the higher level positions. And then if you are sourcing a high level position for your organization, that experience, that domain expertise doesn't reside in that entirety of the um, diverse culture. How do you help move that pendulum where most companies, they want diversity, but they also want best in breed, or at least on paper, best in breed. And so as a recruiting agency, how can you decipher through all the different resumes and understand that Maybe it's disproportionately heavy in one culture, but you need to find that talent elsewhere.
3: So we have about five different ways we go about finding them. One of them is an AI-based software. Uh, we're partners with 10 engineers that left Microsoft and started an AI firm in order to seek out diversity candidates in the marketplace um, but we also, because of our years of experience, have a massive pipeline of diversity candidates. But I certainly don't want to say, Jeff, that um, every C-level executive position has diversity candidates available to it. What clients are really doing is building the strength to the people that report to those C-level so that they can grow them to be at the C-level. Um and, and, and even at the entry level, we help a lot of companies who say we need a lot of people walk into a company and say, no one here looks like me. Um, and and so we are helping them. It can't be a one higher wonder. Um, they have to make a concerted effort to increase whatever diversity that may be. Latinx, African-American, on and on. Um but they can't just put one person in a building so that when they look around at all the other desks, there's no one else like them there. You
0: know what's so interesting about DEI and diversity and inclusion that you know, amazes me and you know working especially in sports, if you look at like the Rooney Rule and all the things they're trying to do with good intention uh, is that we now have enough data to show the one thing that should motivate companies to be diverse uh, which is you make more money. Um, and the numbers are indisputable uh, that a diverse management, a diverse director, a diverse board uh, makes more money.
3: It's you know, absolutely it's true. It's the
0: color green that makes diversity so interesting to companies. And yet, you know, still there seems to be a slow progress, uh, slower than people would want, obviously, but it seems irrational. That we've, you know, moved past the theoretical into the reality of making more money and everyone's not jumping on board. And if they're jumping on board, a lot of them, like you say, are putting their toe in the water. Yeah. Uh, why, why do you think there is a slower progress, obviously, than what people want? That's true in every, you know, and that's a good thing, by the way, that, you know, people want it to move faster. But why isn't it move back, being faster than it, it, it does today?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think that one of the reasons is um, if you're trying to put a diversity individual in, let's just call it a senior manager position, and they bring about seven or eight out of 10 bullet points to the table, but they're missing one or two. And then there's another person who may not be diverse who has all 10 of them. They think in the moment and they say, I'm going to hire the guy that brings all 10 to the table. What a lot of our clients do along with our coaching is is go to the candidates and say, listen, you're 8 out of 10. Rather than come in as a senior manager and put you in a position where you won't be successful immediately, let's downgrade it to a manager let you get a year under your belt and then become a senior manager so there are many companies that do that but there's also companies that don't who live in that moment i think another hurdle for diversity right now in today's world and i am not a political guy but you read a lot about governments sort of backing away from de and i in different states and so when a company sees that well this isn't important to the state or federal government It shouldn't be as important to me. So there's a mixed signal going on out there, which I think is to their detriment because David, it is factual. When you increase your diversity, you make more money.
1: Yeah, you get the totality of ideas and from all different cultures and all different genders, which provides more opportunity for your organization. But I think to the point David just made and you just uh, articulated on, it's hard because until you until you have a diverse population, it's hard to bring one in that, like you said, someone comes in from a different culture and they look around and they're the only one and are they thriving and are they comfortable and how does the organization change bottom down or top, top down or bottom up. Right. Um, so an organization like yours at Mac, I think it starts or could be started by the, the quality of the applicants you provide. Because if I hire a recruiting firm and they give me 10 applicants and only one would be a, a, fall under the diverse criteria, I'm judging them against nine others that aren't. So how can, the organi- how can the industry change to say, you know what, kind of like the Rooney rule, we will give a minimum of blank to make sure that we have that view of all the different genders and ethnicities and cultures?
3: We're able to get to know if they're serious about hiring diversity pretty quickly. And the way we do that is we give them a menu. We say, okay, listen, uh, if you want a 100% diversity slate submittal, it's, it's X amount of dollars. If, if you want a, a diverse slate where it could be a number of different, including white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males, um, uh, you can have that menu. Or if you just say, I just want the best person that could fill this job immediately, we know very quickly based on the spend that they're
1: willing to do if they're serious about diversity. Does that imply spending, I have to spend more to achieve diversity? No, no, no. We,
3: we work on an engaged basis. Recruiting diversity is a lot more time and energy and harder. So our pricing for the 100% diversity candidates is a little higher than a diverse slate or best candidate because there's a lot more time involved. Now, don't misunderstand me. That money that they put up front gets uh, uh, credited against the final invoice. No one wastes their money. They're not spending more just to get diversity. It's giving us a little bit of a financial upside on the beginning because we know it's that much harder. The, money, the, the fee at the end of the process is the same for everybody.
0: And it's credited towards that fee. Uh, yes. Last question uh, real quick before I get to our next guest. You had mentioned real ble- briefly, and a lot of people don't know this as they didn't know about the A31B program, that people like you actually coach or consult beyond search. Absolutely. Um, and, and the value of the consultation and the coaching uh, sometimes it, it exceeds uh, anything that people could understand. So what are some of the things that you coach and consult on, uh, not necessarily just doing the coaching, I mean, the, the, the recruiting?
3: Uh, so we, from the diversity side, of course, we, we focus on that. But also uh, candidate or employee retention is a big part right now. Uh, we also do executive coaching. So a lot of our clients, especially at the C-level, you know, they're, they're making a big hire with a lot of spend, and they will hire us to have our coaches go to their environment get a real good feel on the culture and what they'll be looking for on day one and then our coaches spend time with that candidate that's going to join them so that they can hit the ground running there's not this 30 45 60 day of trying to you know get your feet wet and understand it we we ramp up that time to where they have an impact much faster
0: yeah i bet the roi on that is tremendous and Once again, there's a lack of knowledge in the space that that type of assistance uh, helps. And I also know that when people seek that type of assistance, it helps with uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, that we're all striving for so that businesses can make more money and we can close the separation gap in a variety of different ways not just equal pay, but the separation gap of perception uh, even of our children making sure that we see people that look like us uh, come from where we're from holding positions to inspire young people that it's not only possible but probable and that they can do better. Which is why by the way I love my business partner Warren Moon, uh, because for a long time a lot of young men that said I can't play quarterback in the NFL uh because I'm the wrong color. I have to play a different position. And it took someone, you know, six years in Canada and you know, 44 until he's 44 years old uh, to, pr- to prove it wasn't the color of his skin, but it was uh, the incredible brain power and accuracy of his arm uh, that made him the greatest quarterback of his era. Uh, so I appreciate you elevating our future uh, by educating those who want a future that makes more money, helps more people, and we have more fun. So, uh, everyone else out there, get educated. Uh, go to MacRecruiters.com, especially uh, if you have a search going on or are planning on some type of search. Do yourself a favor, uh, elevate your education and awareness to why and how we can make more money and do good at the same time. You can do well and do good, and it's people like uh, Jeffrey that help us do so. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. The other Jeff. Thank you,
3: David. Next time I'm at the win, I'm coming into to your. Uh uh thing my wife uh, is the one that set this up and she loves watching you there so oh i
0: love you it too. yeah please do we got tv shows running there too and i know mr fencer's been there and he's really enjoyed it so we'd love to have you we're opening more of those studios though today uh, say's boy at, at lucas oil and uh, a variety of other states so we'll have more places for you to visit as well thank you
3: love it nice, nice meeting you, you guys. guys take care thank Goodbye.
0: you take care right on all right, Jeffrey, you're doing a great job, man. Not a bad first-timer. This is his uh, debut, the shower here at Office Hours, my very first and favorite mentee. We've written a book together, Jeff, and I'm uh, getting great reviews about it, and it's, some, it's a topic that I, I think I probably was the first one to expose you to the term relationship capital, and I'm here in Scotland, St. Andrews, and we're doing a mastermind in Sean Dill who I think Owen Seven uh, Everbulls himself uh, brought up the book, and uh, I would love for you before we bring Sonya on just to give us a little bit of a quick pitch, a little plug for the book that I wrote the forward to.
1: Sure, yeah. So it's called Relationship Bank Account, and it's it explains how important relationship capital is and how we have a ledger or a bank account with every human being we know, whether it's a relate uh, sibling a child, a parent, a friend, acquaintance, someone at work, employer, employee, we have this ledger and it's how you build quality relationships over time, some systematic ways to do it. Things I've obviously learned over the years uh, under your tutelage, David, as well as just through life um, lessons, exactly things that you can implement today and grow and how if you do this right, you will have an abundance of opportunity and an abundance of uh, options both professionally and personally to grow because nepotism is real. And who you know is more important than what you know. And that domain expertise that all of those close relationships have is so valuable. And so this book was, uh, I I did a course for LinkedIn. It's on LinkedIn learning on how to build and develop relationship capital. And I turned it into a book. I was fortunate enough to have you write the forward as well as have some contributions from a lot of good friends. uh, Drew Brees, Dan Fleischman, and a whole bunch of others added some value to the book. So definitely pick it up. It's on Amazon. Um, I think it will provide a ton of value. It's really helped me. I built my career off the relationship capital and how to utilize it. And so if you're struggling or you don't feel like you have that network that you need today, there are things you can do and start right now, no matter where you live and no matter who you know. Just remember, everybody is somebody's brother, sister, aunt, cousin or friend. And so the best way to get to Oprah Winfrey might not be to call Oprah, but maybe it's through her sister or best friend. And so by understanding the power of making friends with as many people as you can, you can build an abundance in your life. So thank you, David, for writing that forward. And obviously anyone who checks it out, I'd love your feedback. So please hit me up and let me know.
0: Just go to Amazon or anyone else. They sell books. Thank you for including me in the book, by the way. But more importantly, thank you for listening at such a young age of not only knowing your what personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise of what you want, but who you can help and who can help you. Uh, And it certainly is. But I will tell you, Brian Shear is the best way to get to Oprah Winfrey, if anybody's listening, reach out to Ryan. Anyway, our next guest is Waiting in the Wings. Sonia's here, Bess and uh, she is the founder of Flourish with Sonia, and the director of Talking Heads, Speech Pathology, and co-founder of the Flourishing Ladies. Everything's flourishing when it comes to Sonia. Flourishing for Moms is her award-winning book, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance learn to cultivate 21 healthy ways to let go of your unrealistic expectations and create a space to celebrate your unique parenting pathway which is so important thank you so much for joining us sonia
4: nice to meet you sonia likewise and jeff your book sounds amazing congratulations thank you for having me david and um i believe it's a happy birthday for your daughter one of them
0: well very very good research yes my uh 18-year-old turns uh, 19 on January, uh, June 9th. Uh, So we're in Scotland going to celebrate her birthday, and I think she's going to break our rules and have about 50 people at our home. Uh, I have my 13-year-old there that will report into me uh, how many people over the legal limit uh, she's bringing into my home uh, for her party on Friday night in California. Uh, Anyways, uh, you know, being a parent, speaking of having daughters alone, three of them, 24, 21 and now 19 tomorrow and a 13 year old son uh, is extremely difficult and it's more difficult for the moms as you say, uh, than it is uh, for the dads. Uh, there's a lot more activities um, and you're talking about self care of the moms and it's a philosophy that I coach throughout business is you can't give more with less and there's no one we want to give more to than our children. Uh, So, you know, obviously you have dealt with parents and children for a long time. Jeff and I are both parents. uh, And, you know, I was wondering at at its core, you talk about these unrealistic expectations. How is that prevalent in the understanding of self-care and acceptance?
4: Yeah, it's huge. And the unrealistic expectations, obviously come from ourselves, come from the culture, come from society. They come from everywhere, actually. Um, And it's something that personally I really underestimated until I entered the planet of parenthood. And that's what I call it, because I felt like I was on a totally different planet before entering the planet of parenthood. And I really got insight into the unrealistic expectations um, prior to having my own children as a speech pathologist. So in that role, working with their children and predominantly their mothers coming in to see me. And this was, you know, not just within Australia, but also internationally. And over the years, I saw this common theme where mums would come in with their children, um, you know, willing to just give and do everything for their child, to, for me to help them and there was such determination and strength within them. And that was really what I was seeing in these mums. And they could see nothing but self-defeat, feeling guilt, feeling that they weren't enough, feeling that they were failing. And so that was really the, the beginning of my understanding of the challenge that was there for them to not allow themselves within their own circle of nurture. They couldn't see the light that I could see within them. And so the insight started there. And then when I had my first child, I was four years into running my company, it's now 17 years in. And then I had two children very quickly after that. So I had my three children four and a half years. Yes, it was planned, there were no twins. So I'll kind of cut that one there. Um, but very quickly, it was just a whole new planet, a whole new world. And very quickly I understood the challenge of all those. connected with them so quickly because I had such an outward focus and I felt the pull in all different directions as to what I felt I was expected to be and how I was thought I needed to be seen. And so that's where the real deep soul searching started. And a lot of questions for the parenting world. Um, and the been created around these expectations. And uh, that was really my, my fuel to say, you know what, let's get down to the core of this. Let's get down to the core of what self-care is and how we do actually include ourselves in our own circle of nurture and why that's not an optional luxury, why that's actually a necessity. And so let's just start this journey and you know, support mums and women. and to be quite honest, I'm supporting a lot of dads now too, because the themes are universal. Like it's not, it, it's, these, are, these are not um, principles and practices um, that are you know predominantly for moms. Yes, we get it, but they are very universal.
0: And don't forget, Jeff, sorry to interrupt you, but beyond uh, the applicable theories and philosophies, strategies of being a mom that also help you be a great dad, uh, Jeff and I will attest to anything that helps our wives are exponentially valuable to us as well. So it's a duplicative value to men. Yes, we can apply uh, the book to ourselves, but it's also a duplicative positive that anything that helps our wives exponentially helps our lives. Uh, go ahead, Jeff, sorry for interrupting.
1: No, no, I, 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 I love the message, Sonia, because my oldest, she graduated high school yesterday. So I'm dealing with that emotional moment where it's like now she's, I mean, she came down the stairs two days ago and said, July 18th, I'm going to Cabo with my friend and her mom, not can I go to Cabo with her friend and her mom? And that was my first moment where I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, she's an adult now, and that whole emotional side. But I think if I understand the the root concept of what you're really teaching is, and I'm going to try to use an analogy, and I'm, I'm going to ask if you tell me if this is a fair analogy, but it's like when we're flying in an airplane and the masks fall down and they say, put yours on before you help your child. Is it ideally because if I help my child first and then I run out of oxygen and I pass out, no one's there to help me. So I must take care of myself so I can be the best version of myself for my child, mom or dad.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think the other analogy that's used a lot and people say this a lot is, you've got to fill your cup so you can give from a full cup. And I agree with that. And if I can then take it one step further and say, perhaps consider being the cup fulfilled and if you are the cup fulfilled then what emanates from that is effortless and what your your children are picking up from that you don't have to try to do anything because you are a fulfilled cup and that is the most powerful thing you can be and most empowering thing you can be for your children and everyone else around you
1: but being an expert i have to ask you so I'm going to go back in time. This was uh, 15 years ago. I had a great job. I didn't want to pursue this job. I wanted to branch off and be an entrepreneur on my own. And my dad said to me, I don't have the I I'm being reckless. I'm a parent and I don't have the freedom to go chase my dream because I have to be a parent and I have to be thinking of my child. I was much younger. I'm, I'm 40. I was 25. And my response back then was I, I felt the opposite. I felt I had an obligation to pursue my, my dreams and show my child what that looks like and not show my child that you must settle because of these things. Is that Was I being wrong or right? Was I being selfish as far as the fulfilling my cup? And does that apply in the same context with which your book's about?
4: Yeah, I love that example, Jeff, because that's exactly what it's all about. And it's about being heart-led. I talk about you know, and often work with people to pull them out of the highway of their head and come into the, you know, the super highway of your heart that's within your body. So it's following your heart, following your dreams, being the cup fulfilled. And as David, you mentioned before, you know, it's really a model of possibility. And when you're following your heart and you're fulfilled, everything feels in flow and it's effortless. And what I say is you're high vibing and that's what you want for your children Uh, to have that faith within themselves, to trust in themselves, to follow those, those energetic heart led nudges. And that's the most beautiful gift that we can, that we can give in my view.
0: Yeah. And to finish up, uh, you know, being a son of a mom who, as a single mom, you know, raised beyond me, extraordinary children, uh, your podcast chat about children podcast uh, with you, Sonia, um, Best Lich, uh, you have a series that you know. I think I, I, I'm going to be a part of about raising empowered humans, which is my goal in life, believe it or not, beyond my own children, is to empower others, to empower others to be happy. And Jeff's example, I think, is a great way to empower your children. Uh, but there's one other thing I think that needs to be taught, and I heard it on uh, your podcast as a topic, and the way that I would summarize it is that moms are really good at appreciating what they have. uh, And they're really good at acknowledging what they have because acknowledgement is, uh, the only way you can acquire the knowledge of what you have beyond appreciation is to not have it anymore. So moms give away everything. And my mom's a classic example of a woman who raised these extraordinary children on her own and uh, appreciated it, added value to it and acknowledged it, gave it all away gave away her health, her wealth, uh, her worthiness. uh, And yet she forgot the third component of abundance, which is asking for help. So I believe the three A's uh, in this empowering uh, situation is to appreciate everything, uh, but also to acknowledge it, give it away, have it lost or stolen or manipulated, whatever, just don't have it anymore. But the last and biggest missing piece is the last A, that they don't feel worthy of, of asking for more or asking for help. Why is it, or how do you approach to give the courage and humility to the moms especially to ask for help?
4: Yeah, it's a big one, and it's a chapter in Flourish for Moms, asking for help, simply for that reason. Um, and you know, it, it brings up an example that I do share in the book where a mum called me at the clinic in absolutely broken single mum, just desperately concerned for her daughter who was being bullied because she had communication issues and she was absolutely broken. And the thing that was breaking her even more, as she said to me, is I can't believe I've got to this point of needing so much help. And so it's it's flipping around this, um, and we do it to ourselves, we have this unrealistic expectation, if I can circle back, that strength is holding it all together. That's the myth, that strength is not asking for help. And my response is always understand that your actions speak louder than your words and your action in asking for help is one of pure strength and pure courage. And more than anything, it actually is a demonstration of your deep unconditional love for your daughter, but also for yourself. And that's a that's the insight that a lot of us miss. We see it as a failure, rather than an act of honoring our greatness and our intention for empowering ourselves and our children. And, and once that is understood, it creates a whole other uh, level of awareness and appreciation for who we are and why we do what we do within our role of motherhood.
0: we all know why you're so successful as a three-time award-winning author, speaker, podcaster, an incredible expert and director of the Speech Pathology Company herself, empowering others to empower others to be happy, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. Sonia, Thank you so much. I look forward to collaborating more on our podcasts, and uh, we appreciate having you on Office Hours. Thanks for joining us.
4: Much gratitude. Thank you to you both. Bye. We
0: appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right, Jeffrey Fenster, you may or may not know that we always end Office Hours on a takeaway of the day, incorporating what we've learned from our three extraordinary guests. So I'm going to put you on the spot in the car wash of Office Hours as a rookie premier host host of mine and my oldest mentee Uh, we have many more things that we're going to do together. Uh, But you were, once again, I'm a proud papa over here. I am so proud. Uh, You just have grown so much. What an extraordinary job you did, but what's your takeaway for the day?
1: Well, my big takeaway from our first guest is I don't know nearly enough about the things I need to take advantage of and what's out there as a business owner and what is potentially protecting me. Uh, Not just the 831B, um, because that's one unique product. But clearly, there is a host of things that I need to continue to expand my knowledge. And the biggest, uh, the biggest danger business owners have is the day we think we know it all. Um, so that was a revelation that this many years in and this much uh, experience in, I still don't know plenty. Um, our second guest educated me on the importance of how we need to solve the diversity issue in hiring and recruiting and recognize that although AI is coming, it's still that human side and how we're going to build and make more money and create more green for our our businesses is by having a diverse, inclusive group at the top and throughout the entire organization. And of course, our last guest, um, perfect day for me dealing with the emotions I am dealing with as a proud dad myself, um, was really understanding that whole concept of I have to continue to fulfill my cup so I can give more. And to your point, you can't give what you don't have. So help a lot of people have a lot of fun and make a lot of money. you your, your MO, but it, it was clearly articulated by Sonia and it was great to have that diverse group today of those three different things from both business to culture, to family and parenting.
0: I love it. And uh, incorporating the takeaway of the day of all three guests uh, for me and looking at you as your, oldest, graduated from high school and is becoming an adult partying down in Cabo by herself with her <laughs> families without asking, which I'm very familiar with, by the way, uh, and my daughter turning 19 tomorrow, uh, my takeaway is really simple. It's how important is it to find someone that sits in a situation that you want to be in to give you the directions to where they're at, whether it's in our small business with the 831B whether it's a consultant to teach us how to make more green by having a rainbow color uh, company uh, or uh, how to uh, facilitate empowering our children. There's really the fastest and easiest way is to find someone who sits in that situation and ask them for directions, whether it be reading their books like your book and Sonia's book and whether it's their podcast, like your podcast, or my podcast, or Sonia's, whatever it is, find the medium and the person and ask them for directions. That's the radically humble way to create abundance, living in a unified, abundant, infinite system of thought. The incredible Jeff Fenster, my pride and joy of entrepreneurship and many other things. He's a great father, congratulations, a great husband and a great community asset down in San Diego, California. I could not be prouder uh, than your own father. And uh, good thing I was around because I definitely would have told you way back when, 15 years ago, I think I probably did. You, you, know, Forget the doctor, lawyer, failure. You'll take better care of your kids in the long run. If you do what you love, it'll tell you all its secrets. And I'm so glad that you did what you love uh, because your children certainly are benefiting today Uh, much more than they would have. uh, And I I understand the ignorant arrogance of our parents. They're more afraid for us than we are for ourselves. So they're going to give you advice from a position of fear, not one of confidence, which uh, I have in you at the greatest amount. All right, everyone, let's give my friend Jeff Fenster a big round of applause. Jeff, where would you like people to reach out to you and listen to your Jeff Fenster show and many other things you have going
1: on? Uh, At Fenster Jeff on social, Jeff at Everbull or connect at jefffenster.com. The Jeff Fenster show will be coming live this month in June on all the platforms. So please check it out and on YouTube. And I just want to take one more second and I want to applaud those watching this. Um, I've had the fortuitousness of knowing David for 35 years now, uh, since I was four or five years old. But you already are taking that first step. And wherever you are on your journey, whatever roadblocks are in front of you, as Dave said, his lesson of the day of finding that person who's sitting in that seat. David is a resource that I have used tremendously. Um, I've made more withdrawals, if you read my book, than deposits, but he's been a, a grateful bank and has allowed me to continue to do that. Um, I'm not where I am not, I am today, but for the information, knowledge and experience I got working around Dave, taking the hard lessons from Dave, the fights, the love, all the things in between. And the fact that he's opened this up on a regular basis to give you access to this information You're already doing the first step. You're you're taking it, but now take that next step and follow through. Continue to go to all the things that David offers. Reach out to him. That third A is the hardest. I know I struggle with it as well, but ask him for help. He has all those programs. And I want to just tell you, I'm not just a uh, a fan, but I was a client of this experience that you're going through, and I can speak firsthand that this is the right path. So I want to thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and honor to come on with you, and it's been fun.
0: We'll have you back. You win. And uh, winners win, proven by Jeff Fenster. Everyone, check him out. Thanks for joining me, brother.
1: Thank you. Enjoy Scotland and happy birthday. Um, to your come daughter. with
0: me next time. Thanks, brother. All right, live from Scotland. It's David at dmilter.com. Be happy, uh, everyone. Most importantly, we got training tomorrow at uh, 6 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, Be on uh, with uh, some special guests in Office Hours Edition of Office Hours. And, uh, we appreciate you. So email me if you're not registered. We have over 80,000 people registered, been doing it for over 23 years, every single week. All you gotta do is reach out to me. If it's free, it's we email me, David at dmelzer.com. We'll throw in a free book at registration. Uh, we'll sign it, send it to you, pay for the book and shipping. Uh, but most importantly, just be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much.